How are we doing, everybody? Welcome back. We're here again with John Wedger and, of course, myself, Ron Swanson. We're here again looking at crime theories, asking the, the, the tough questions about crimes that have affected the whole world. John Wedger is ex-police and his, his expert knowledge is fascinating on so many cases. And there's some things he can talk about and there's some things he can't. And it's, it's a fascinating situation when we have an inside an insider like this breaking down crime and you know how are you doing tonight john how, how's your week been tell us a little bit about how you're doing yeah 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 fantastic um i mean the weather's been very very good um you know and i do my uh hence swimming against depression and so for me that's got a lot easier so i'm going you know i've been since um christmas day going around the country swimming in my underpants in in open water locations in the uk and northern europe and uh, it's been phenomenal and i do it to promote the the unparalleled benefits of cold water therapy especially when it comes to the the, the treatment of uh, things like depression ptsd and, and suicidal tendencies so um for the first time I, i'm starting to to feel warm a, a lot of people if they swim this time of year in, in the open sea or in a lake, they, they find it cold. Whereas for me, it actually feels quite warm now because my body's, it's changed. Um, so I did a, a swim at the weekend um, and I'll be doing, uh, hopefully, um, one um, in a couple of mornings time. And I, I really, I'm really loving the, uh, the onset of summer. It's a fantastic time. Yeah, I bet. And I just want to point out for anyone who's maybe... Uh, a little bit unknowledged. Swimming in your pants in winter in the UK is no fun. To believe in something like that and to really put your heart and soul into getting your voice heard on that topic is is incredible. But to do it in a way that benefits so many subcategories of people, like you say, anxiety and and suicide is 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 amazing. So can't wait to hear more about that, John, and can't wait to see some footage and really see the movement uh, behind you know moving behind you. So. But tonight we're back with some crime theory and we're going to be delving into two cases. One is uh, Madeleine McCann and the other is the Dunblane shooting that occurred in Scotland. And John has some fantastic information on both these cases. And we're, of course, diving into the, the latest Madeleine McCann news where there's been some updates and some new investigations that are happening in the case. And John, would you like to just take it away and let us know what has uh, been happening in the world of the Madeleine McCann case? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I was um, I conducted an interview with with Sean Atwood um, a couple of months ago re regarding uh, the Madeleine McCann case, and it's it's something which is uh, the British public are obsessed with it, and 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 you've got to ask yourself why you know why are they still uh, pursuing this, and and the millions that they've spent on it is is phenomenal. So. There's a lot of things that just don't seem right, but what what we've seen with this case is that um, this week they they started the search again for for her body. So we're looking. I think it's about 15 years since she went missing. She would be, I think, about 20, 21 years old um, by now, if um, if she was about. And so they've conducted a search in a lake. On the edge of this reservoir, 30 miles from the resort where Madeleine McCann disappeared, there is now intense search activity. An operation acting on fresh intelligence. 
enough to convince investigators the area could hold the key to helping solve this 16-year-old mystery. Using ground-penetrating radar and specialist sniffer dogs, search teams concentrated on this relatively small and very isolated area. It's a spot where Christian Bruckner, the prime suspect in Madeline's abduction, visited on a regular basis. He'd lived for a time in a commune just seven miles from here. This search operation is being conducted by the Portuguese police, but at the instigation of the German authorities. Germany's chief prosecutor, who's investigating Christian Bruckner, says he has compelling evidence that he not only abducted, but murdered Madeleine McCann. German authorities have never detailed that evidence, but almost a decade on from the last major search on the Algarve, it's taken them back here with a renewed determination. The German chief prosecutor confirming that a detailed tip-off had brought about this latest operation. Although Christian Bruckner's defence team have continually called into question the evidence against the convicted rapist, the lead prosecutor is a highly respected figure within German law enforcement. A small number of Scotland Yard detectives are here in Portugal monitoring the progress of these searches, relaying anything of note back to Madeleine McCann's family in the UK. Mark White, GB News at the Arad Dam on the Algarve. Now, for me, as an investigator, I would be looking at water as being a place uh, used to conceal the body. Now, you've got the Algarve coast, which is quite a rugged coast in, in parts. And the things which are, are going to hinder if you're going into the criminal mind, um, what, what would hinder um, getting away with disposing of a body? Because... We we got all sorts of um, offences here, and one of them would be the, the concealing of 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 a body. Um, would be that you wouldn't want a body cropping up um, in in a trawler, you know, because you you've got the um, the boats that, that that do trawl the the seabed, and so they they would pick up if something's yeah. been dropped there. Um, and the other thing are recreational divers. Uh, so a recreational diver, you don't want them coming across a body either. But the things which would um, prevent that from happening would be if the body was put anywhere sort of um, uh, with a depth greater than 50 metres would pretty much rule out a recreational diver coming across it. Um, and if it's a rocky um, seabed, then, then you're not going to get a trawler boat um, going over there because it's going to snag the nets. So anywhere sort of out the reach of um, recreational divers, or and, and really that the, the sort of like the terrain, the topography of the seabed um, that would put off a trawler boat picking up picking up a, a corpse. And, and the sea is a huge, huge place. And and also when we look at um, search teams, you know, when you're doing terrestrial searches, you're doing it on land, you, you can use sniffer dogs. They're, they're an incredible resource to the police. And they, they can pick up a scent, which is ironic because, you know, th there was a lot of conjecture 
especially where the family were concerned regarding uh, the ability of the sniffer dog used. And that's something that I really want to go on about if I can. Um, but sniffer dogs are, are brilliant. As, a, as an investigator, I would use dogs for as many things as you can. And, you know, the, these dogs, um, the detection dogs, they can be used to sniff out money. Um, Delarue's, the, the money makers put um, a chemical in the ink, which gives off a scent. So money actually gives oh, off wow. a scent. Yeah. Um, yeah again, drugs, um, cocaine. Uh, and what it is with cocaine, it's, they, they smell for the chemicals used to refine it, the, the alcohols that are used to refine cocaine. Um, an interesting fact, these passive sniffer dogs, they're trained to sniff the thigh area of a person because after someone sniffed coke, what they do is they tend to wipe their hands on their trousers. Oh, there we go. And so the dogs, when you see these passive sniffer dogs in nightclubs, they will walk up and they will sniff the thigh area of a person and they will passively just sit down next to a target. Uh, and that's how wow. you know, people tend to stroke the dog, a little spaniel, go, oh, cute little thing. And that is an indicator or a knock, yeah. as they call to the, to the handler. This person has got drugs and the, the dogs are good because they don't know how to lie. They've got, they have not got the ability to lie. There's yeah. no deception in the dog. It does its job and they've got incredibly finely tuned um, sense of smell. Yeah, they, but when it comes to, to, to a cadaver, yeah. Um, but bodies, they, they rot very quick when they're in the fresh air. So when people bury a body, it's only really to conceal it. It, it, it will really slow down the, the decomposition uh, procedure. And certain soil types, um, you know, can actually preserve a body as well. And, and they found that with um, the recent case with the, a lot of the uh, bodies that they found in Northern Ireland. I think they, they uncovered something like 50 bodies on a beach wow. um, uh, during, the, during the troubles. And some of them were really well preserved because the soil actually preserved them. Now, just, uh, other soils. I just want to ask you something about the Madeleine McCann. So if let's say, for example, you're, she was dumped at sea, right? Or dumped, <clears throat> or dumped in water. If we're talking about the sea, surely... That can't be, I mean, we'd have to rule out deep ocean because she would just be pulled apart and eaten. You know, she would decompose and she would be eaten. If, she, if she's in a bag or something um, like that, or buried, I'm assuming that, what, that must be what their theory is. I mean, that has to be what has funded this new investigation is the theory that she's buried somewhere or she's in something. Uh, and and been put in the water. Cause... Well, 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 yeah, well, they'd have to weight the body down because the body floats twice. Of course, I yeah. Mean, I mean, I spent a few years working on the river police, and yeah. one thing that they were brilliant at was was recovering dead bodies. Uh, the, the Thames, if it was a uh, like a borough it, in London, it would give up more dead bodies than than any terrestrial sort of um, area. They get it worked out a body a week, a suspicious death a week. Uh, you, you know, you, you'd be hard pushed to. Um, to match that, even in the most violent of, of London districts, yeah, and and water, That's crazy. water just destroys the DNA. It, it it bloats the body. A body will float twice. Initially, it will float, and then it will sink, um, and it will go down. Now they're, they're searching a lake. Um, a lake is is sedentary, so it's it's not going to move. Um, so the body will go down, and there will be predation. 
Um, you're, you're going to get shrimps, you're going to get eels, um, crabs, um, and all sorts of things that you know we'll we'll, we'll go into. And of course, also the body will, will decompose very quickly in the water. It will fill up with decomposition gases, which will make it buoyant. The skin starts to go uh, peel off, and a white person, their skin goes black, and a black person, their skin goes white. It's a very strange phenomenon. Uh, and then it starts to fall apart, and it will lift because of the, the huge amount of uh, uh, decomposition gases uh, caused by the bacteria and everything else, and the body will float, and then it, it will pop, um, and it will give off the most wretched of smells. It, it is the most pungent, yeah. disgusting odour. Uh, and, and I challenge any, any seasoned person who's worked in this environment not to throw up. If you're not uh, yeah. used to it. Oh man! The, the, it, it, yeah, you know, the, the now, smell of the smell of death the, the is one smell thing. Comes back to me. Yeah, but a pop, but this is worse. When a pop body at sea. Yeah. I spent some time working for. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I spent some time working for the Royal Life Lifeboat Association, and the smells. I mean, yeah, it linger. It ling some of the smells linger even when all traces of that smell have been removed. I remember when. Uh, sadly, bodies were brought into our Dunbar Harbour, and the smell lingered in the harbour just for for days. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if it's a summer, it's it's. And bear yeah. in mind, Portugal, it must be. Um, you know, I often think um, about when you see footage of of countries such as Rwanda, when they had, you know, the meltdown in that place of the civil war with the Tutsis and the Hutsis or whatever the, the two yeah. war infractions were, and. They showed you that the streets just lined with corpse after corpse in, in an equatorial climate. I mean, the smell must have been the most repugnant you can imagine. It must be absolutely appalling out there yeah. and the disease that goes with it. But so the body will, will lift up and float, and that's when they tend to be detected. Um, tidal waterways are slightly different. You get movement in a tidal waterway. Uh, a river goes in one direction. So a, a body can be taken along. And we, we've seen that with, with this uh, bizarre case of this Nicola Bullen, um, the lady that went missing in Lancashire, and the body was, I think, the River Ripple. Um, and a body was found a mile away from, from where she allegedly went in. Uh, it's a very, very strange case, that is. Um, and there's a lot of question marks I have for that for that job. But... Um, so yeah. if it's a non-tidal river, then, then there's, there's there's a chance if the body is buoyant that it could be taken. If it's deep enough and got a strong enough flow, that it could be taken a long way. Again, predators will move the body. You know, um, yeah. if a body goes on a bank, you could well get things like um, otters and yeah, even foxes dragging the body out. And they found that with, with the, the um, uh, case of uh, little Sarah Payne. Yeah. So, you know, foxes had, had started to, to uh, eat and also consume and also move her body. Um, so you, you get that. And you, you also got that during the um, 77 bombings. Uh, body parts, the flesh was actually taken by carrion crows. Um, they saw it as a free meal. And they, they were finding the search teams, the um, abseiling search teams that the police had, um, which I was a member of for a few years. Okay. And, you know, they were recovering bits of flesh 
on rooftops and in nests and all sorts because um, the crows were, were taking it away. So nature will have a lot to do with it. Yeah, a heavy tidal impact, waterway, a, a tidal waterway is slightly different because what a tidal waterway will do is the body tends not to go too far from where it's dumped. So the River Thames, if, if a, a corpse is thrown in South Westminster Bridge, there's every chance that the body will, will it get taken under. There's a lot of eddy currents. And the, um, uh, the ebb tide will take it out. But then the flow, when the tide comes in, will push it back to its original place. Um, so it to and froze with the tide. And it tends to not go more than 10 metres away from where it originally goes in. But what happens is the body gets agitated and it gets moved and that causes an erosion as well yeah, of and course. damage to, to, to the corpse. Yeah, and boats will do the same. So if a body goes up and a boat hits it, a propeller's going to slice it in pieces. I mean, you, you see it with propeller damage to um, sea mammals such as seals and whales and dolphins. Uh, you know, quite often they will have lacerations where they've been hit by outboard motors and things like that. But And the sea is full of brilliant. You've got lobsters, crabs, and, you know, the bottom feeding fish and well fish in general um we'll, we'll really find a, a, a big meal in there yeah uh, and <clears throat> so and also <clears throat> when you've when you've got confined spaces um search teams which is what these police teams will be they'll be underwater and confined uh, space search team if you've got a murky environment you're going to rely solely on feel and touch so it's a very inaccurate science. They go in like a concentric circle motion uh, where they start off in the middle and then they sort of go around in a circle and slowly, slowly spiral out um, from from a given site. And again, it's very difficult. It still comes back to, to basic um, skill sets anyway. I mean, it's like a lot of cases that they might have the most advanced technology going but when it comes down to a court, a court just wants statements, what they call Section 9 statements, and, and it wants written down evidence and tangible evidence. And if you haven't got that, then it doesn't get allowed in. So the police might forward the forensic science uh, thing, and forensic only means evidence for a court. That's all that means. Uh, that may advance, but it comes down to base-level court rules. And if you don't satisfy them court rules, then they're not going to get heard. And if they do get hurt, they're subject to scrutiny. And if you haven't got the evidence, then you're not really going to win the case. So, uh, but, but it's going to be difficult um, if they're searching this lake and the visibility is poor and it's a big lake. And we're talking now 15 years, you know, in the water. Well, good luck with that one. And you know, if it's on land, at least a sniffer dog and you've got ESDA machines, uh, you know, these geophys machines, which can pick up um, the, any disturbance in the soil. So that they'll find if a grave's been dug and things like that. And they just go over, they, they, they roll them over the, the land and then they analyse um, like a sonar footprint and see if the land's been dug. Um, and then you can put a sniffer dog in there. Cadaver dogs are fantastic. And what they do with the cadaver dogs, They'll drill holes in the in the um, in the soil. They'll do a series of holes, and they'll put a dog over it. And if that dog indicates that that there is 
you know, a, a human cadaver down there, they'll put another dog over, and if the dog gives the same knock, uh, then it's pretty yeah. much guaranteed that, that there is a corpse there. Um, again, it's incredibly time-consuming. Yeah. And, you know, you got and that's on land. And so how they're going to do it on water, well, you know, you haven't got that ability, and it depends how deep that lake is. Yeah. The family seemed confident when they did the statement analysis of of, of their um testimonies that that no one would ever find her body um yeah. and i'll base that evidence on the findings of um peter hyatt uh when he was asked to transcribe some of their interviews and he indicated deception um in in their narrative yeah. and the fact that they were aware of where the body was and they were confident no one would find it and for me um, considering that you know the topography of the land and where they are, uh, you know, coastal rough Atlantic Ocean, that there's every chance that body is in the sea, and that's the statement I made. Uh, you know, my assumption yeah. and, and my findings were that the body will be in the sea, and they're pretty confident that no one will find it. This will be your fifth birthday without Madeline. Each year before Kate and Jerry McCann join us now, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This will be your fifth birthday without Madeline. Each year before, you've marked it with a small party, cakes, balloons, cards. Is that how you're going to remember her today? Obviously, it's slightly different today, George, because we're, we're launching my book. Um, there will still be a little tea party at home and balloons and cake um, with Sean and Emily and close family and friends. Um, I think I comfort myself by knowing that what we're doing today um, could be very positive in the search for our daughter. And as you said, all of the proceeds from this book are going to fund the search for Madeline because this has to be done privately now. Police aren't doing it anymore. That's right. The police investigation stopped in July 2008. So we've had to uh, get our own team of investigators and obviously we have to fund that ourselves as well as the campaign. What we hope with the book launch today, George, though, as well as uh, launching a campaign really for an independent review of Madeline's case uh, by the authorities, something that's never been done. And for us, that's a major stone that needs turned uh, in the search for our daughter. You know, in the book, you base it on the diaries, Kate, that you've kept for Madeline. It is, it is so raw and honest about your pain. And what you did as a couple, there are points where you're actually blamed by the police. One point, the Portuguese police uh, basically offer you a deal. They say, you, if you just take two years in prison, confess to accidentally killing Madeline, this whole thing will be over. I think uh, it, it's hard to explain how terrifying that whole experience was. Uh, it looked like uh, our whole life was going to collapse around us. Um, and I'm sure if we had confessed to hide in Madeline's body, for which there's absolutely no evidence, and no evidence even that Madeline's been harmed, that would have been the end of it. Um, Kate was incredibly strong through that period and um, was fighting for Madeline. I think the most difficult thing, George, was the realisation at that point that the police weren't looking for Madeline and that they were just focused really on trying to, I guess, blame us and for it all to be over. And obviously that is... You know, one of the most damaging things that could then happen to the search, really, was for the police to stop looking and to convince the general public as well that we were somehow involved and then stop them from looking. So that was the thing that hurt the most. You also write about, though, um, you know, you had left uh, Madeline and the kids there. This, and my wife and I have talked about this. This, this could happen to anyone. 
but how, how were you able to stop blaming yourself in any way? I mean, I mean, all I can say is how much that I love Madeline. Um, you know, we both love our children dearly, and there was no way we'd ever have put them at risk. I think I have to remind myself as well that the, the person who's committed this crime is the abductor. And at this point, that abductor, that person, is out there free. So he's got away with this so far. He's also free to go and, you know, commit similar crimes if he's left as it is, if nobody's going to bother to try and look for him. And finally, what's your biggest hope of what can come from this book? Well, obviously, our main hope is that it'll lead somehow to us finding our daughter and for us to be back as a family of five again. And we'd like to thank everybody as well in advance that have helped us already. Thank you to everybody who will read the book. And uh, please keep looking. Please keep helping us to find our daughter. And thank you for joining us today. Maybe I still go with the open water. I don't think they're going to find that body. I don't, well, I don't think they're going to find it. And I, and I don't think anyone will ever be convicted of it either. Um, this is just coming in the last hour. Um, police officers investigating a Portuguese reservoir in the searches for missing metal McCann have zeroed in on Woodland area. So, uh, the mirror saw officers on site using strimmers and chainsaws to remove ve dead vegetation and aid their search. Four police dogs were also spotted and German officers were seen loading evidence into the back of a Ford Ranger truck. And that was at five to eight this evening. So very interesting that they usually they've, they've, they've utilized uh, your, you know what you said what you think would be best which is the dogs they're strimming an area now which is clearly not underwater it's on land and uh, they've been seen loading evidence what that evidence is who knows um, by the time this shows out maybe there'll be some uh, breaking news that we're talking about next week but this all stemmed from this this lake and they seem to now be focusing on the surrounding areas as well based off of dogs findings and we'll just have to keep an eye on this one john you know i tell you what just since this is a theory show yeah, yeah. yeah just since this is this is crime theory what do you and you've probably said this a lot loads of times before but just hit us with the the cliff note short version what is what is in your honest opinion okay this is this is john's opinion what do you think happened and how could she have ended up in that lake? Do you, I mean, right, well, yeah, well, well, I don't think she's in there uh, for a start. Um, and if she is, um, my opinion, um, and I base this on many, many factors. And again, it is opinion. This isn't any fact. Is that, that the child died in the apartment. It died through um, overdosing sort of um, too much residual uh, sedation through okay. medication um i i think the child um when she was in the apartment woke up under uh, under heavy sedation which was given to her by the parents uh, she may have stood up to try and look on on the back of a chair or something try and look find out where her mum was she was uh, badly coordinated because she was she was you know given a lot of knockout drops or whatever and she's fallen and and she's mortally injured herself, and she's um, there's been a fatal injury, probably a broken neck or something like that. Um, and the parents have done everything to cover it up. Now, one of, one of the suggestions uh, is that Madeline may have been sexually abused. Now, if that is the case, this is where it gets interesting. If Madeline had been sexually abused, right, there will be a need 
to get rid of her body because there will be a special post-mortem. There's two types of post-mortem. There's a standard post-mortem, there's a special post-mortem. That's in the UK. I don't know what Portugal does, but I wouldn't have thought it's much different. You know, most countries, developed countries, do go along the same system. Of course. So that will be that she, her, her body would have been cut from, from top to toe, and it would involve an examination of, of every single part of it, which, which would include, uh, you know, the the sex organs and things like that. Now, had if she if she was being sexual again, we don't know if she is or if she was or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if we base this on the assumption that she was, then that would that would be relevant, right? That and that would be picked up, um, and then the placement of the other two children, the twins, would be in question then, right? Because that would instantly launch a, a child protection investigation. Can I just so they stand to lose all their children? I think, I think for me, I I believe that theory if there is an abuse element tied into it because, for me, like the whole theory of her falling off the couch and breaking her neck, right? I I I've seen a baby right fall off a kitchen counter and hit his head off the floor. Okay, it's a traumatic experience, and I I've seen it happen. The baby was fine. Like, the baby was absolutely fine, and I find it hard to believe that she would have okay. fallen okay, look, or something. Look. But the whole residual uh, drugging yeah. or accidental overdose, that is 100% likely. You know, that, that is very likely. Yeah. And can I ask you, what is, well, 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 what is the legal, like, mileage from a coast before it becomes international waters? Like, how far do you have to take a boat out? 12 to, miles. 12, 12, 12 miles. 12 miles. Really isn't far. Let's miles. be honest. Which, it really isn't far. Which isn't far. And if, if you're taking like a little pleasure cruiser, or even if they had access to a powerful rib boat, I mean, a, a rib boat can easily do 30 knots. So you're going to cover that distance very, very quickly. But if we just go back to the point you raised, look, people can be hit by a 70 mile an hour car, get up and walk away. Others can be hit by a push bike and die. You know, someone can fall off a That's block of flats true. and survive it. People have fallen out of flames. Others have fallen off the curb, banged their head and died. Yeah. So it, it, it's one of them things. It just, it, I think it was an awful tragedy that occurred. I don't think the kid was murdered in a malicious attack. I think it generally was an accident, but yeah. it would have highlighted a bigger picture, in my opinion. And I think this whole thing of them sitting around... And then she goes back and, and sees the kids missing. There, there was something like 40 questions unanswered. And, you know, why? My, my, I haven't um, got my, my research stuff with me. But, yeah, that's okay. Um, you've seen more about it in, in Sean's interview I did. But, you know, I haven't been a parent myself. If your kid's missing, you're all going to be screaming and shouting and oh. running. She's gone, she's gone, she's missing. There, there was none of that. Yeah, and the Sky News was contacted very quickly afterwards. Well, why would you even consider contacting them? Yeah. Why, why? And it seemed to me that, again, is my opinion that that whole evening could have been manufactured, and actually the kid was long gone and disposed of by that time. Yeah, and the story was all got in line, and everything was worked out. And um, an experienced detective, who that um, Concalves guy seems to have been. He knew that, that they weren't telling the truth. That's that's my opinion. That's, that's your opinion. Well, I'm going to many things that 
I'm going to play devil's to me. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I'm going to throw out what I think. Again, theory here. I honestly think that there, there had to have been, if it was an accident, all right, and there had to have been some sort of drugging involved that was the reason for the cover-up, okay, if we're thinking nicely here. So I kind of, I'm agreeing with you if I'm thinking of the, the nicest possible thing that could have happened to that poor girl was her dying in her sleep, okay, through an overdose. But honestly, there's way too many uh, connections to very bizarre, twisted things uh, that I can't even talk about on this channel, but there's two individuals that were in Portugal around the same time that tie in with very powerful people. Some of you who understand the what is now seen as a conspiracy that broke a few years ago, four or five years ago, concerning oh, the Clintons. Um, Clinton. Yeah, the Clintons and her yeah, emails. I mean, I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not saying that these people. No, we're not. May or may not. No, this is just a theory. They, they may or may have been involved in, in some sort of wrongdoing, but it, it still wouldn't have taken from the fact that this all went very badly wrong. Why is um, there no I, CCTV, John? Is this the only hotel in the world with no CCTV? Because why is there nothing? Why is there no last seen footage of her if if you know anything why i mean it's so bizarre yeah, yes, no but, but, well well it may be back then it wasn't as prevalent as it is now i mean now yeah of course it will be everywhere and people have it but you know we're going back um a few years and it, it wasn't it wasn't that big i mean it's the, the first cctv um that we started really seeing in London was in the borough of Westminster, it was around, around the, the Pimlico, Belgravia area, and that was yeah. sort of circa 1996. And then slowly, you know, it started being used more and more on a commercial level after that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's a it's a relatively new thing if we, we, we look at um, capturing footage. Um, now it's everywhere. You, I mean, yeah. my word. Well, buses sold murders. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's 16 cameras on a, on a London bus. It, yeah. it, just a big walking camera or driving camera and yeah. things. I, like um, I say, I, I believe but, there's some darker things no. at play with the parents. And this is all theory, but I, I genuinely would not be surprised <laughs> if we found out this was a the offering of a firstborn for some very peculiar, dark reasons. Like, honest to God, that's where my mind is with it. I really really think there's something dark and very very twisted uh, in, in in this whole story i think that it was just another day at the office for the monsters involved and 12 miles off of the coast of portugal is where the truth lies and sadly we'll never figure this out thanks for watching our podcast is with my sponsor it's ag1 by athletic greens so Jen, as a pregnant woman taking AG1 in the morning, how's that helped you? Well, with the low energy I've been having due to being pregnant, AG1 has helped give me that morning boost that I've really craved. Bear in mind, if you are pregnant, consult a doctor before taking AG1. Jen and I get AG1 delivered every month, which makes it super easy to have as a daily habit. With the single serving travel packs, I never have to miss a day. Just mixing the powder into the water drinking it first thing every morning before breakfast. That's simple. If you're looking for an easy way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase.
Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Sean. Check it out. That's the word from our sponsor. Thanks for watching. Link in the description box below this video for AG1. Yeah. The, the, the one thing I would say about that yeah. is that uh, if, if we look at Satanism and satanic yeah. you know, it's been it's going on for a long time and there's never really been prosecutions for children not. that have been killed in it. So so if these people are that powerful and that connected, why have they screwed up so monumentally and brought so much heat and attention to themselves? That would seem the most I, stupidest well, thing I, to have done. I can give you a, a stupid theory on that. So I believe that the group that run this all around Europe come out of Amsterdam and it centralizes in the ports in Amsterdam and the boats leave from there. I believe their whole club runs non-digitally, so it's Polaroids and VHS tapes, and that's why it's a lot harder for the media to distribute and it's a very tightly niched club. I, I believe that the reason this is so public is because th the group thrive on that. You're talking about the ability to make a huge case public and they get to sit on their twisted boat thinking to themselves, how stupid are the rest of the world that we have got 13 million investigated into a family who gave up their child, allegedly, this is a theory, and we're just sitting back laughing about it. Obviously, you come from a more grounded, rational point of view, but for me, that fits into the whole agenda. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't think these people want the attention. They want the attention at all. I think they, they want the opposite from that. And I think this this is something that's gone tragically wrong and it's brought attention to them. And everything has been about crisis management and damage limitation from yeah. that point on. Well, and that's the beauty of this, John. You you can you can rope me in from my crazy theories. And it's 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 easy to sort of get caught up in no. conspiracy when it's something like this. Do you not find that? Yeah, uh, well, it depends where you come from. I mean look, look when 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 it comes to to the world of, of, of sex abuse and childhood sex abuse um, and people that have been damaged by it, there's a need for justice. Um, and, and unfortunately, only 2% of these historic cases end up in, in, in what we would really class as justice. And, and so that there is an anger and there are people that, that do have a lot of complex mental health issues. And it's easy. And also a lot of people that are medicated very heavily throughout their life because they suffer from um, depression and disassociated identity disorder and things like that. Uh, and paranoia can come in and unbalanced, unrational thinking can come in as well. A lot of the time with, with crime, it's stupidity and incompetence. I cannot love Madeline more than I love her. You know, I would never taken a risk it was something that wasn't it wasn't even a decision that's how safe it felt you know what and information it didn't help. did we have to suggest it wasn't going to be safe we were dining 50 yards away we were making regular checks we were going into the apartment always quiet every night and we if we had thought it was unsafe for a minute if there was any conscious element that somebody was going to get into that apartment and steal your child then of course we wouldn't have done that. But I mean, it wasn't just a matter of being unsafe, was it? I mean, is it the case you can clear it up right here? Now, was Madeline upset the night before about being left alone? Had she had, had, she had a moment and got out of bed and started crying and started looking for me? I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I mean, I don't know if you saw the documentary last night, but I mean, I have talked about it. Um, Madeline made a comment um, in passing that 
um, where were you when I cried? Not just to mummy, by the way, just generally. Um, and it just seemed a bit odd. I mean, it was a very kind of passing remark, and we just thought she doesn't usually wake up, and she woke up, that means that, you know, she must have fallen back asleep very quickly. Um, and then she moved on. You know, she moved on. Anybody with young children will understand that children cry, they wake up at night. During that week, there was one night, uh, and we can't give too much detail because it's part of the investigation plan, but there was one night when Madeline had come through and one of the other uh, twins was crying. So, you know, and when she did mention to it to us and we asked her about it and she just dropped, she was completely fine. And we thought, was it when they were bathing, getting them, you know, first putting them down in that period when they're really tired? Of course, with hindsight, in the, in the context of what happened, of Madeline being abducted, it's put in a very different light, and it's put in a very different light to us, and of course we emphasise that. If Madeline, hadn't been, abducted, if Madeline hadn't been abducted, we'd never have thought of that comment again. And, and it isn't as complex and as conspiratorial as, as people think. I'm not saying that that doesn't go on, because it does. Of course. It clearly does, um, 100%, and I got caught up in that, so I know yeah. when it goes wrong um and they need to nail someone you know they really pull out all the stops and they will do a rolls voice job on you um but most of the time it's not it's just laziness and incompetence and quirk of fates occur um but when people sometimes aren't that balanced they can go um with sublime thinking and irrational thinking and and some of it's you know isn't qualified talk. There, there's um, an interesting thing about aviation disasters, and 90% of them are human error. I mean, there was yeah. one in Brazil where, where a, a plane crashed into a mountain and they were blaming all technical issues and all that. And what it came down to was a pilot and a co pilot were watching a football match instead of navigating Jesus. their plane. And they crashed into a mountain. So it comes down to basic human error yeah. 90% of the time. Do you know, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's weird you mention sure. that because working with Phil Chalmers, he investigates and is an expert on serial killers. It's shocking how many serial killers have been caught because of a brake light and there's a body in the trunk and a brake light's out or there's a road. They've done some minor traffic thing that's got them in trouble. The amount of luck yeah. that comes into a lot of the cases is not, it's it's shocking because you would you would hope there was a big supercomputer that the police just pinpoint with all their evidence and it does it all for them and they're never wrong. But the amount of luck that comes into oh. some of these big cases is, is, is staggering. We now maybe we're going to see a shift from the lake into the, into the forest. And if anything happens, you can, you can rest assured that next week we will we will do a follow-up on this. The police search of an area in Portugal near where Madeleine McCann went missing 16 years ago has now come to an end. The search had already been extended from two days to three. Now, Europe correspondent Siobhan Robbins is at the scene of the search and can bring us the latest, Siobhan. Yes, the search, as you say, appears to have ended. To bring people up to date, we've been here over the last two days and at this reservoir in the peninsula behind us, that's where we've been seeing 
the main hub of the action that's been going on here. So we've seen, for example, sniffer dogs being brought in, uh, cutting machines, clearing wooded areas, drones going up, uh, police officers digging. And this was all on the request of the German authorities who have named their prime suspect in the disappearance of Madeleine McCann in 2007 as a convicted sex offender called Christian B. Now, it's understood that they asked for these searches, which have been done as a joint effort by the German authorities, the Portuguese, and with some officials from the UK. The reason they asked them, we understand, is because they got a credible tip-off from an informant. Uh, Christian B has always denied any involvement, but it's thought that he used to visit this place, so they've been back here. And over the course of this day, we've seen a lot of the heavy machinery uh, that was used in those searches coming out. We've also seen uh, down the road an HQ which was set up with various blue tents. That's all come down now. And we put in a request to the German prosecutor to see what was happening. And he, he said to us that the fact that the search teams seem to be leaving, that everything is packing up, would suggest that the search is over. But important to underline, that doesn't mean the investigation is over. Because what they need to do now is look at anything that they may have found here, find out if it moves the investigation on or if it's something to discard, and then also continue to investigate what happened to Madeleine McCann. Now, we're hoping to get some sort of confirmation that the search is officially over, although from what we can see, it clearly is. Uh, and also maybe later in the future, find out from those prosecutors if they have found anything credible to move this investigation forward. And Siobhan, I know you're there at a remote reservoir in Portugal, but, you know, um, such is the focus of attention still on Madeleine McCann 16 years on. What's been the level of interest on what's been happening there over the last three days? Huge. It's been absolutely huge. As you say, this is a remote area. It's a place where signal is difficult, winding roads, and all of the roads are absolutely packed uh, with vehicles. There have been people bringing in satellite trucks. There have been crews from around the world here. And we went to Praia de Luz, which is where Madeleine McCann disappeared from in 2007. And it's what people there are talking about as well. We spoke to tourists who have been coming back to this area for decades, who were in the area at the time when Madeleine McCann disappeared. And they said everyone's talking about it. It's on the front pages of the Portuguese newspapers. And for the the tourists that we spoke to, certainly, they feel like this is a new opportunity, really, to get answers, because this search that's been happening is the first one back here in Portugal for almost a decade. And there's a feeling that hopefully there'll be answers for the family in due course, but also for the people living in this area where the case has just hung over them for 16 years. The next thing we're going to talk about is the Dunblane shooting, which happened in Scotland, very tragic incident. And this was yeah. something that I was a little kid when this happened, you know. Uh, I had family friends yeah. who were uh, working for the NHS that worked literally on the victims of this. And it's a case that I think nobody in the UK or Scotland, if they grew up when it happened, has ever really healed from because it was so outrageous and devastating. And we're going to touch on that because, again, John's got some really interesting insights. You, you've heard about just how on point his theories are with the Jill Dando case, which we talked about last week. If you haven't seen last week's episode, there is a link in the description, uh, and this will be all in a playlist. So make sure you go and, you go and listen to that. But take us through uh, what happened at Dunblane and your, your theories on why we're linking it with uh, the McCann case. So I hope, uh, hope you guys are ready, because John, like yeah. I say, just so yeah. interesting. Let's go. 
Yeah, I mean, the Dunblane shooting, it was, um, it was classed as a Dunblane massacre. Uh, and I actually remember it breaking. It, 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 this was um, the day after my birthday, actually. It was on the 13th of March in 1996, and it, it's a little town, um, the Dunblane Primary School in the town of Dunblane, which is which is near Stirling. And a guy called Thomas Hamilton shot dead 16 pupils and a teacher, and he injured 15 others. He then shot himself, allegedly. Um, uh, it was the deadliest mass shooting in, in British history. Um, and then it brought about um, big debates on sort of the, the gun laws and gun controls and everything else in, in, in this country. And it was... Um, it, it, and Thomas Hamilton was a very strange man indeed. Uh, you know, he had... Uh, there was rumours that he was, he was a paedophile. He, he had links with the Scout Association. Um, and he was linked to youth clubs. Uh, um, and all sorts of things. Um, I think I, I've got to check this up because I've not really done the, too much in-depth stuff into it, but I'm, I think that he he did have some sort of connection with Gordon Brown. Well, as you can imagine, this has been a, a long, dark week full of tears. Dunblane is uh, still in mourning. However, the evil that came last week is gone. The children returned to school today. And this is a, a very important day for us because today marks the beginning of our recovery. And you mark my words, we will recover. I promise you that. I've been walking around the school this morning and... Uh, I came across a group of children who were laughing and joking together. I went round another corner and I found a couple of kids who were arguing. <laughs> Normality is returning. We have really only one priority now, and uh, that is to ensure that our school becomes a happy, a happy place of learning once again. And with the with the help of all the people in Dunblane, whose strength this week has been just truly remarkable, and with all the good wishes that we've had from everybody from all over the world, we will be a good school again. Personally, I've been totally overwhelmed by the flowers and the cards, the letters, the offers of help, and not least the, the thousands of teddies. It's been quite daunting trying to read these, but I can tell you that every message and every offer of help has given us a little boost. So, on behalf of the pupils, on behalf of the staff, and indeed on behalf of Dunblane, I thank you very much indeed for that from the bottom of my heart. And I think, um, again, I will research this and come back to you, but I think Gordon Brown also had links with um, uh, Jerry McCann. I think they were from the same sort of district, same area. There's some bizarre okay. connections going on, but... Right, so, um, I mean, I've got information. I'm not going to go into the source, but this guy come out of the military and he... Um, uh, he had connections to uh, someone that, that was at, at the school on that day. And 
what he told me was that, um, that, that of course, there was, you know, um, one teacher was shot and 16 pupils and 15 others injured. And, and a lot of the women teachers were shot in the, in the back um, because they actually shielded the, the children. But the male teachers sort of ran away and the women had this natural sort of thing to be like, you know, the mother goose and protect the flock. Um, and what was said to me was that Hamilton's intentions were to go into the school um, once the kids, because the kids go into to their classrooms first, they go to a they go to the reception into their classrooms. They do the register, and then they they all file off to the to the the hall um, for an assembly, and it happens every morning. So he, I was told that his intention was to go into the uh, the assembly when the kids were there and shoot all the children in the face. This is what a twisted guy. You know he was, and uh, but he, there was a kid that was late for school, and Hamilton saw him going in, and wanted to to verify the time with, with the child, and so he asked the kid what the time was, and the kid lied because the kid thought he was some sort of official from you know the, the truancy board or something, and and lied about the time and said it was actually sort of. Um, earlier than it was. So Hamilton went back and waited an extra five minutes or so. By that time, uh, the um, kids had left the assembly hall and gone to their classrooms. So he'd missed that vital opportunity that he wanted to, to, to massacre all the children and shoot them all in the head wow. in, in the assembly hall. Um, so he then had to go from classroom to classroom shooting the children which didn't give him the desired effect he wanted. Um, that's what I'd, um, uh, you know, heard about that. And um, and, and, and the strange thing um, with that, that there was the, they put a hundred years, it was Tony Blair put on a hundred year D notice on it, you know, and, and D notice defense notice, which is a tool of the, um, military intelligence services it's not a civilian police tool so they put this hundred year rule on and we see this a lot with the child abuse uh, care home cover-ups they were putting 30 year they did that was like I said with the Jill Dando thing they, they, they put these D notices on it now you see this a lot when it comes you, to sex crime can you tell us a little bit about what a D notice is uh, a D notice is a defence notice um and it, it was brought in during the First World War, and it was this sort of um, loose, loose lips sink ships. Um, and it might, if my memory serves me well, I think it was Winston Churchill brought it in. Um, and it's to do with reasons of things that national uh, for national security. Um, and so, it's a government notice, and it's usually sent to to the media. Um, so they withhold information for reasons of state security and um it's a defense advisory notice so d notice so and it is it's a, a tool of the um of the uh the military um so it's it very strange that they would they would bring that in uh so you know that's what we have it you know they so what what uh, exactly does the D notice in conjunction 
with the Dumbling case mean? Like, what, 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 just because I'm clearly well, well, an idiot. Well, well there, there's, there's obviously something to do with that case which involves national security. The rumours that Thomas Hamilton was a file. Um, now, if that's the case, the, the old information, he, he certainly had connections to the Scout Association and to local youth clubs. He was a strange man, and they, you, you see the same. There's a, a, a case, um, if you go back to the 80s, of Michael Ryan, uh, who massacred a load of people in the town of Hungerford. Um, I think Hungerford it, it's, um, is, is even Berkshire or Wiltshire down that way. Um, and, and he did the same, went and, and shot a load of people. And there was all bizarre stuff around that. And again, a very strange man, Ryan and, and um, uh, Thomas Hamilton, very similar, you know, odd, very quiet, classes loners. Um, no one really knows much about them. So can I just ask as well, um, so, let, let's just say, let, if you if you were a politician and you were super friendly with somebody who committed a massacre and you wanted to sort of make sure that never got out, I take it a D notice could be put in place because if that, you know, if a politician's associated with it, that could affect the national security. And I know that's twisting the, the reasons to use a D notice, but could that have been a reason for it being in place? on the Dunblane case to save someone's skin connected to him? Well, well, without a doubt. I mean, it was created in 1912 and in, in the run-up to the First World War. Um, and it was to do, it was to do with like, the, the press really um, getting information and leaking it, uh, which would yeah. assist the Germans. Okay. Um, I mean, don't get know, me wrong. So it was brought in, uh, you know, in the state of war. Um, and it's been used ever since. And we see it a lot. Um, as an instrument that gets used to silence the media around child abuse wow. um, and its cover-ups in, in organised kids' homes and established children's wow. homes, especially ones that, that you know, there was a prevalence, of, you know, of abuse throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s. And it, it comes out a lot. And again, you have the thing around um, uh, the... Um, uh, place the guest house, Elm Guest House in Rocks Lane, uh, you know, in, um, in Barnes, in uh, on the banks of the Thames in, in sort of southwest London. You know, all bizarre um, cover ups and D notices going about yeah. around that thing um, because it was um, alleged that there were politicians involved in the abuse of children in That's that place. Quite a scary and concept. I've spoken to a few that kids that, 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 that um, guest house that, that were taken there and were abused. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of information that's come my way from, from survivors that, that I've interviewed, mainly post my time in the police. And I've heard of members of the royal family. I've, I've heard of many politicians, Crown Court judges. I mean, one guy, um, he told me about um, a judge that, that convicted him and sent him down at Crown Court, and it was the same judge that used to, when he was younger, used to come into the children's home and abuse him. Wow. You know, it's, it's, it's such a disgusting, appalling state of affairs. And, and we see these cover-ups. Now, now, a very strange thing, in the same sort of policing district, um, uh, um, in, you know, we had the Dunblane thing, but then we also had the Lockerbie um, bombing, where the plane... Uh, the Pan Am plane came down uh, in, in a town in Lockerbie in Scotland. 
And I think it was the same um, chief constable dealt with both critical incidents. You know, what bad luck has he got? Yeah. And they, they arrested and imprisoned a guy called Abdul al-Magrahi. Yeah, he's innocent. Uh, for, yeah, and, and I, I spoke to a guy that was in prison with him and said, John, he's, he, he's um, an innocent man. He never did it. Uh, and I said to him, you know, um, I can't remember which prison. It was either Sockton or it was Barlini or Gwinnett, one of them prisons. And I, you know, anyway, I spoke to quite a, a few inmates at these places. And he said, look, this, um, this guy's innocent and he doesn't get a hard time because he's well liked. But wherever he goes, he's flanked by two officers. He's never allowed anywhere on his own um, except to go to the mosque. Yeah. And then the officers are with him even then. So even when he goes to a shower, so he was totally isolated from every other prisoner and not allowed in any sort of dialogue with any other prisoner. So, and, and this is another thing we, we see with the, with the Rule 43 and the segregation units um, in, in the prison community where they put the sex offenders. And I can see for a public, for a, a protection point of view, why they do it, because these people are a threat to the safety of both themselves and the staff. And there is a duty of care, no matter how abhorrent these people are and their crimes are. But also, if you get a load of sex offenders together, they're going to form their own community, which they do in these prisons, and they share stories, which they do. Of course, do. of course. And it was one of the reasons why we, we, we weren't allowed to give transcripts of ABE interviews, which were the child abuse interviews. We weren't allowed to give them um, to the defence teams um, unless the case was fully in trial, they could come and they could listen to the tapes because these these transcripts were getting traded in prisons as, as a porn, wow. pornographic dialogue. Uh, uh, you know, it's sick. But when you've got these communities all together, if, if there is a paedophile that was procuring children for politicians, which is the inference regarding people like Sidney Cook and things like that, that may well have been the case. It may not have been. Again, it's it's just an inference that I'm drawing here and an assumption that I'm, I'm drawing, then then that that information stays with them and it doesn't get out into, into the public domain. But if, a, if a, one of these prisoners was in general population and did manage to survive out having his testicles cut off and his throat cut or whatever, you think of the source of information, you know, he, he could give other prisoners about people that were involved in paedophile rings. Yeah. It would be phenomenal. Do you know? I mean, they would know so much. Do you know, John, you just talking about that, it's exactly the same. And to put it in context for people, if you're a fan of fishing and you go on a Facebook page where people are talking about fishing, on the dark web, the, the child abuse communities, it's the same enthusiasm for what they're into that they talk about with this stuff. And they're constantly educating new like-minded individuals on how to conduct themselves better and all the rest to stay under the radar and in the same way if you put 20 people that are all into anything together they're gonna come out of it more educated on that topic than when they went in and it's shocking hearing that the transcripts are used in that way and just just how twisted these individuals are and can I just can I just dial us back a bit? Because when we're talking about the D notices and we're talking about Dumblane, if 
if what you're saying is right, he, the, the individual who massacred these kids, if he was connected to any politicians and he was uh, a, a monster who went after kids, it would be quite a quick fire way of silencing and keeping your like-minded political friends safe from public knowledge, right? And that's really quite shocking and interesting. And let me just ask you this. Do you think if Savile was alive and all of this broke when he was alive, we would have seen a D notice on, on that? Well, very interesting. There's a very good interview that Tony Goslin, um, the former BBC journalist, does um, with, a, with, a, with another journalist from the West Midlands, and it's to do with Savile. And this journalist tells Tony Goslin that, that he had information that Savile was an asset um, an informant for the intelligence services, and, and that would make sense um, to me, especially as someone who was a, who was a source recruiter. So part of my toolkit in the police, because I, without um, it doesn't matter whether I'm being conceited or not. I was I was very tell me things, and and that was utilised. The police utilised it, and they utilised me to recruit informants, um, yeah. and some of that was very covert. Um, it could be very dangerous work as well, uh, not just for the for the source, but also for myself. And um, and it can go very seriously wrong. And and there's very strict parameters around it. But if we go go back to, to when Savile was an was very active, fifties, uh, sixties, and seventies. So he's, this guy's had decades and decades. He's almost half a century, maybe more, of, of, of proactive um, paedophilia. Do you think there's a possibility then that Savile may have been a pawn being used to gather intelligence on people that were yes. into the same thing yes. as him? Yes. And he got away 100%. with it because the people that were letting yes. him get away with it were more concerned with building blackmail material or... Of course. Of course. Wow. This is what you've got to realise that the intelligence services... With certain information, there's a need to bury it, but they don't bury it because it has blackmail worth. And and then it can then um, control global politics. So exactly. if that's the case, then then that is going to be a concern to state security. Hence the reason the military intelligence get involved, and hence the reason D notices get served. Now now the golden rule with informants is that you can work them. They can, but providing they give information greater than what they're involved in. So if that is greater now. Yeah. Of course. Then, then Savile being a child rapist, what is he getting information on people doing? Correct. Um, child murder? Yeah, correct. I mean, yeah. if we look at, you know, that it came out in the inquiry, Operation Conifer, that, that Ted Heath was an active scientist. And the information I've had uh, regarding people that were involved at that sort of level, that, that the child sacrifice is used and it, in its highly uh, values. In their rituals, because there's a demonic need for blood, so and child blood is is especially valued. So that that's the only thing I can think of that's been worse than child child murder, in whatever context that used, whether that yeah. is for sexual gratification or, yeah. or or for demonic worship. So just just for the viewer, it's fairly suspicious that this D notice was put on to the Dumbling massacre. It's clear when you hear. John's answers to the theory that 
if Savile was a pawn and he was gathering information, it would have had to have been worse than what he was doing. So, for example, you've got a guy who's, you know, selling a bit of green and he's giving up people that are selling a bit of brown. That is a good working system for, you know, the police to, to catch bigger fish, if that makes sense. So there's there's clearly no other reason than hiding something that connects to a darker incident than massacring a bunch of children at play here. And if we're talking about politicians in the UK at a time where there was, you know, Savile was running rampant, who's to say that the individual that caused this massacre wasn't part of a bigger operation and plan and went just went completely rogue? And the information and the individuals he's tied in with were too big to be brought down. It's a well, scary well, well, concept. Well, well look, look at the behaviour of this guy. And so he came to notice of the police um, in, in, in Bannockburn. There was a child protection unit Bannockburn in Scotland, and, and Hamilton was named in there as being of concern um, to, to child protection because he was, he was involved in a, in a residential holiday camp for children. Oh, yes. Um, and, and they they Jesus. were so concerned, the police, uh, that they recommended that, that he had his firearms licence revoked. And this was in 1991. And neither Hamilton's propensity um, for, for a liking, a, a, an unhealthy sexual liking of children, the information regarding that was never followed up. And, and neither was the recommendation that, that he got his... Um, license revoked and that came out in a government inquiry on him the government inquiries these inquiries are very important people dismiss them they're an inquiry they're not an investigation so no one's going to get nicked by information when when you investigate things <clears throat> right you're always looking for a way in and people will always tell you something even if they're lying to you they will tell you something which is going to be a way in you're never going to get you know, the full hands up and I want to tell you everything. It's rare. It does happen, but it's very, very rare. But what you've got to do is cherry pick and you get little golden nuggets. And sometimes they do leak out and they do get out into the public domain through these government inquiries. And they're just a little opening into a darker world. Of course. Um, so, so, so when we're looking at the, the early 90s, you know, a good five years before Hamilton massacred these children, they were already concerns by the police that this man was a danger to children and he was too unstable to hold a firearms license and nothing was done but do you think maybe so, if there was a bigger story at play here just for a second it works out better for them that it wasn't revoked because it just lays more blame and more distraction for the public to focus on rather than following a line of question that could lead to things they don't want to know coming to light Again, yeah, Hamilton, um, he had Masonic links. Um, that came out as well. Um, and, and this is also why the government love a conspiracy theorist, because when conspiracy theorists go to work, you know, uh, they, they, they get unbalanced with it, with their viewpoint, and they can easily mock them and, and dismiss them as nutters. But, you know, sometimes with, with some of these... Um, uh, conspiracy chat rooms. There's there's a there's some good information in there, uh, but but people take it too far. Yeah, well, I uh, think, and then it gets and then it gets discredited, and and then yeah. that's the problem you get. I think as long um, as as long as the crazy outweighs the correct theories, 
the government are happy, you know, as long as there's just enough crazy out there to put people off believing the realities. And we see it with everything. There's genuinely people that still think that planes were flown into the towers because some dudes in a cave put together a whole plan by themselves. No, no oh, help at all. Yeah, yeah, no yeah, help at all. Yeah. Um, well, 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 yeah, I mean, they've, but the other thing is 80% of, of the American population, when, when asked, they don't believe the official narrative of, of the Kennedy assassination. Listen, do you know um, what? So the, the thing, it, 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 it's, not, it's not the two towers that fell down. Let's just agree that it was the guys in the, t in the caves. Sure. How did the building three fall down? No plane hit that. Oh, no, oh, no. It, it's, it's unbelievable, it isn't is. it? I mean, I, I don't believe that, that official narrative for one it's minute. Um, it's just it, it's, it's just a scandalous. It's, yeah. um, these things are designed not to collapse. Correct. There, there's been a lot of... Um, uh, is it... Who's a woman, Judy? I can't remember her full name. She's a structural engineer, and and um, and she lectures on it, and and she she's done a fantastic book on um, yeah. why the towers fell down. Yeah. A hundred the hundred year rule is this. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info. Also linked in my description box on this YouTube version or scan the QR code on the screen. Aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do. Aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app. And, it, and, and that is illegally the age of a human being, right? So in, in the eyes of the law, um, a human being could be expected to live 100 years. Okay. So therefore, anyone involved in that information will be dead. And Correct. therefore, it's okay to name them and everything else. Correct. So that's why they do it. That's why they put a 100-year rule on there, to protect the children, they say, and um, and everything else. But And, and just, just, um, just to reiterate, the reason why this is important is John has already clarified that so many child abuse, tra trafficking, and uh, cases that happen in care homes involving children have these D notices attached to them. Now, you'd think they would be the last case in the world you would attach a D notice to because it involves kids and we want the truth. The same with the Dunblane Massacre. And the, the discussion we just had about Savile brings this whole thing together and circles us back to the McCanns because... It's interesting after learning about the D notice, it's changed my opinion a little bit because you'd think that that would be a case where they would throw a D notice on it if there was any connections to politics. You'd think people would be silenced, all the rest of it. In the same way as I think Savile would have been D noticed and silenced. So yeah. when I look at the McCann case now, it kind of makes me think twice a little bit. Maybe it's different rules for Portugal, but I, I don't know because it's such a big case. If we did a D notice in the UK and then some information came out in Portugal and then we couldn't report on it, would that be more suspicious? Do you see, do you see how many um, 
conundrums this causes now for uh, trying to come up with a theory in my head because I can't decide on what happened to Madeline. I've got a theory that I agree on every theory. Did she, you know, was she was she uh, accidentally overdosed? Did she, did she get sold? Was she was she was she stolen? I've got something I believe in all of them. I just don't know which one I believe out of those that I I believe to pick and say this is what I think. It's just too big. Well, well I mean, you know, the average time spent investigating a missing person is 36 hours, right? Um, that's the average time. So they've spent 15 years on this case, £15 million, and I think the average amount of money is something like £1,200. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we still have 1,500 unaccounted for long-term missing people. Um, a child, well, sorry, they're... In a year, 70,000 reports of missing children. Now, um, that's not saying 70,000 children go missing every year. Um, a lot of these are uh, parents that, that are a bit overzealous, overprotective, and report to get missing. Most come back again. Kids' homes when kids abscond from care, which is regular. Yeah. Uh, they, they think they're down as a missing person. They always present themselves back again. Yeah. Um, the reasons for them absconding could be a lot more nefarious, and we, we could be looking at um, organised grooming involved and sure. things like that, which is a case, in, especially in the investigations I took part in. Um, but most come back. So to say 70,000 children every year go missing and they're never seen again is, is absolute nonsense, which I, I do see or I do hear um, come out of the mouths of certain people. Um, yeah. If that was a case in 10 years, you know, I mean, what, 700,000, you know, not short of a million children. I yeah. mean, really, uh, it, it's, we wouldn't have any kids left if that, uh, as how it was. But again, that still leaves 1,500 missing people um, going out there. They seem to have spent, you know, a ridiculous amount on this case and a lot of time and resources, especially when it wasn't even their jurisdiction. It was a Portuguese police's jurisdiction, not, not the British police's. They had no jurisdiction out there at all. Um, and then the, I think the police came up with an adequate um, conclusion to what happened. Yeah. And, and the suspects, um, in my opinion, are the same as the Portuguese police, which is it's the parents. Uh, need. Now, what went on in a deeper level... Um, or a more sinister level regarding the parents and their friends, yeah, that 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 could be subject to to a bigger argument, and and I'm open to some of the the, the theories that are out there, but when we're taking the nuts and bolts of it, you know, I think that this was a quirk of fate. This was something that wasn't meant to have happened, and they have covered it up. They've used all their influence and their connections um, to to cover it up, but not just to to, to, to do this, the, the crisis management as well. We're looking at, um, there was a thing come out the other day that Philip Schofield has been, been spending uh, in the past few months £30,000 a month on, on crisis management teams. Well, well, why would you do that? And there's, there's rumours that he's got a super injunction out to stop information about him and, uh, and this... Um, yeah. This, this this young lad that, that yeah, worked of course. Yeah, as, as a runner for it, but um, you know these crisis management. What they will do is they will go through and they will trawl through the internet, getting as much removed as they can. Now, I I had one um, contact me once regarding information that I put out about a politician, 
And they said, you're going to remove it. Oh, we'll sue you. And, well, I've had yeah. it a few times, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> you, you know, and why would you even bother? I mean, things have been said about me online. My work, I don't care. People in touch their own opinion. Good yeah. luck. Crack on. Here's... Uh, you know, because it's nonsense. So why would it worry me? Yeah. Um, but there is a need. They have a need to clear their name. Yeah. And they have a need to. And, um, and, and then to bring in their heavies to threaten people um, and threaten them, you know, on, on this legal thing and threaten them with suing. And you'll end up with a legal bill so yeah. big you'll lose your house, your home, your everything. So that's how they do it. And it's the same when you whistleblow against the government or government institution, like I found out, you, you know, you stand to lose everything and they hit you so quick yeah. and so hard. It's what they call a war of attrition. Okay. They have the time, the resources, the muscle, the power to see it through a new oven. And a lot of people back down. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they back down because they're in the wrong. It means they yeah. back down because they're tired, they're worn out, or yeah. they're just basically frightened. Uh, and this is what these snakes do. Yeah. Um, and I think that there was a, a desperate need to get rid of that body. There was a desperate need to get rid of it. Uh, and and it had to go because it contained too much information. Yeah. And also that flat, in my opinion, needed to to be to be sterile because what if there was medication that that was conducive with doping the child? That needs yeah. to be got rid of. And if that child went missing on at that actual period of time, and the police went in search, they would have found stuff. And they did. And 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 what is clear is the dog, the cadaver dog, which had you know, a phenomenal success track record and went on to be a big asset to the FBI, um, picked up a, a dead body scent yeah. from behind the couch. It picked up the same scent days later from the car. Yeah. Unprompted. Well, the McCann's went out their way to discredit that dog handler and that dog handler and his dog were the same ones that, that, that discovered the the. Uh, body parts that were found in Hope de la Garenne in Jersey. Damn. You know, so they went out their way to discredit in that dog. They then hindered the, the long-term investigation of, of that kid's home where children were murdered. And the police officer, Lenny Harp, who did a sterling job on that kid's home and found child remains, and they turned up and said it was coconut shell uh, later on, Whoa. and they attacked him like they attacked me. Um, so we see the pattern all the time, and they threaten you with, with so many things that you you do get worried. Um, and that's what they'll tell you they'll, they'll do to you. Um, what is it? Then they're not going to tell you that they'll do to you. And that's what you've got to worry. And, you know, that there were credible um, reports that come through that, that, that I, I saw a good chance of, of being killed if I carried on doing what I was doing and wow. speaking out. And that came from... That's from scary. within Parliament. That information came from within Parliament, a good source in Parliament. Um, and I was told, I was told. So, you know, that they'll take it, that, that extra step, they will. Yeah, well, listen, um, And I, sometimes, I, I... You, you know, you need to stay alive. You know, there's a, there's a parable in the Bible about the man down the well. Don't be the man down the well. You're no good down the well. You need to be free. And you need to be alive. I mean, if you're in prison, you're, you're of no use. I mean, we look at what's happened with Wilfred Wong. Yeah.
Well, and, that's that's uh, that's uh, a story. That's yeah. a story for another night on our channel. That one. But listen, yeah. let me throw this last theory at you. So let's just let just listen to this because this this my brain sort of produced this. Let's say that the McCanns were involved in something horrible. That also some politicians were involved in too, and they were all part of the same group. And Madeline. Yeah was sedated and then used for horrible things and then died of an overdose during those horrible things. Knowing that the, the McCanns have information on other people because they're in the same club, would that be leverage enough for them not to put a D notice on them and for this case to have gone on so long? Well, well, well who's, who's saying that that, that, that that might not be the case? Well, it's a theory. Um, it's just a theory. But, Allegedly but, theory. But, 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 yeah, it is. And, but, but the fact that he accidentally fell was, was, like I said, a quirk of fate. Maybe these things were going on and, yeah. and her body would have would have held the information, the clue on the post-mortem, um, which would have been brought a certain degree of that to light. Um and, and yeah, sedation is used. Um, one of yeah. one of the things that, that is used in, in ritual abuse is also hallucinogenics. So yeah. there, there's um, someone who come forward, and 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 this was to do with with, with Ted Heath's uh, stuff and all that. And and I was told that uh, at a ritual, that this person was given um, LSD, and so their memory recall was of like rabbits and yeah. butterflies and bizarre things. Well. Where's the credibility when, when that person is interviewed about their recollection? Of course. Um, there's no credibility because it's, you know. Um, so what what you found was that when it comes to, to sexual abuse and pornography, the children would tend to be sedated because there would be a muscle relaxant element to it as well, especially when it comes to sodomization. Um and also, there, there would be the compliance, the complicity in there, because they were so drugged, there weren't much. And when um, one girl told me about, she found a porno mag, a child porno mag, and she was in it, and she said, you can clearly see my eyes are glazed, I'm, I'm not with it, because they were doping me. Whereas, when it comes to ritual abuse, they tend to want the child lucid. Um, now, with ritual abuse, you can split the victims into two categories. Those that are going to survive and those that are going to be sacrificed. Correct. So the sacrificial ones won't be drugged at all. They, they want them to experience the full horrors of torture, fear, pain, everything. Yeah. And they, 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 they get off on it. It's a turn on it. It's a gift to the demons when they Correct. do it. Correct. Yeah. Um, but those that survive it, they tend to be the intergenerational children of the intergenerational um, yeah. uh, uh, Satanists and what have you. Yeah. And the kids are used to, to also kill the other children. Yeah. It's... Uh, and they're, they're also used as a weapon to, to lure the children Correct. into a full sense of security, the ones that are going to get killed. So that they'll use a kid as a bait to get other kids in. And so there's a need. And also these children are heavily sexualized and they know how to perform sex acts. And, and, and that is what some of them want. Whereas a child who's abducted won't. Yeah. It'll be totally alien to them. It'll frighten them. It will scare them. Which will again add to, to a certain element of the ritual. Um, so, so you, you know, it's not saying these things don't happen, but that there's a place for them. And there's a method yeah. in it. But 
uh, you know, in my opinion, that see a lot of that may well have been going on. We don't know. Um, uh, hopefully, one day someone will will come forward. And look, there was um, I may have mentioned it. Um, a case years ago of the street children in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro, and they were heavily involved in crime against tourists, and they were becoming a plague. Um, they were seeing like, like wild dogs, like, like rats that were just going around and attacking tourists, and that was really affecting the economy of, course. of Rio. So, so the police had a, a special unit that would go around and just execute the kids. Wow. These were street kids, they were high on drugs anyway, so they, would, they weren't bothering to nick them, they're just shooting them. Yeah, they're often, uh, often, well, it was unofficial, you yeah. know, no one, you know, it, they knew it went on, but there was nothing really written down because it's highly illegal. Yeah, and the reason it only came out was that the head of the unit went to God. He wow. turned. He, he he went to Jesus and he and he confessed everything. And it actually, that's the only way the world ever knows about these wow. things going on. Um, now, maybe, hopefully, one day, one of that little group will will, will speak out. But it's, uh, it's they're, they're 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 at risk if they do. Um, there is a need uh, to silence people because it it can't get out. Yeah. Unless it's how they they keep um it's the old, look paedophilia is the ultimate secret society, you know yeah. the Freemasons have their um their rules regarding cutting people's gizzards out and all sorts if they say anything, and it may be a veiled threat or just some sort of you know bizarre historical act that they go through, but nevertheless it's a threat. Whereas you know the, the Satanist you know, there's there's a real threat yeah. to your life if you speak out. Just, um, and it, they're, they're forever held um, just, in, in in servitude because there, there are no um, um, uh, spectators in this thing. This isn't a spectator sport. You can't just pop along to a satanic no. ritual and think, "Well, it's not really for me." Of course, you know. Once you get, once you're in it, you're in it. And, and the, a, a good testimony to that is a lady called Audrey Harper. And when she talks about her introduction to Satanism via street prostitution and class A drug addiction, and she said at the first ritual she was she witnessed a child being killed and she was made to drink the blood. Um, yeah, and, and, and everyone had to. There was no one that didn't. You know, everyone had to. And, and that's what binds them together. It's a conspiracy of silence. Of course. Because they're all active participants in, in this abhorrence. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's horrific. And just what you were saying there about the street kids in Brazil and how people are drugged and they don't remember. Phil Chalmers is someone I work with, and he often refers to targets of serial killers as the lesser dead. It's street workers, it's street kids, it's people that if they die, they're lesser cared about. You know, who really cares if a prostitute dies or street kids go missing? when there's so much other crime going on. And when it comes to people being drugged and not remembering, some of you out there are going to be thinking, well, how is that possible? I, I, I would invite you to look up David Parker Ray. He was a serial killer who, one of his victims was approached by the FBI to look at her tattoos because she was a known prostitute in, and her tattoos were recognized by the local police in the video of her being abused and tortured and she was kept for weeks and then released in the streets 
and the cocktail of drugs she'd taken, she'd forgotten everything that had happened to her. And the only reason she knew was she was a victim is because the police knew what her tattoos looked like and, and went yeah, to Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got a statement um, from, from a street prostitute, and she goes on about how she, she was a, she's approached um, by, by a guy, um, a black guy, who, who would also sell her drugs, and he, he offered her to make more money. And that would be by getting pregnant by a punters, not wearing contraception. And if she got pregnant, she could, um, they, he, he would take care of the child. She would be taken to a private clinic Jesus. to give birth and the kid would go. Wow. And, and she, she knew eventually that the kid was going for um, satanic ritual abuse. Listen. Uh, there, there was a guy I spoke to um, Many years ago, when I first, I was still in the police um, when I when I interviewed this guy, and uh, he told me of his life on the street as a rent boy uh, throughout the sixties and seventies, and he, he tells about kids that w- that would go missing, um, and there was one particular car that he was told never to get in, and that was a white Rolls Royce with two brothers in. Uh, would pick up the boys from Piccadilly, the meat rack area. And he was told by his pimp, if you go in that car, you, you're not seen again. There's a lot of the boys that go oh. in there, we never see him. And he actually did get in there. And he was so badly abused. His, his, well, they thought his lifeless corpse, um, it was just dumped um, by the Royal Free Hospital. Jesus. Just dumped. And, and, and he was still alive and he survived. But he had he had horrific internal injuries. Oh. Um, uh, um, there's a... a, a testimony of a guy uh, called James Reeves that, that I took and James again was the victim of a kid's home uh, become a rent boy on the street he's an old man now and he actually gave evidence at a government inquiry and he said his little gang on the streets of, of central London they would meet up at Euston station and then go off thieving or renting out there you know renting their, their own the six and, and that as rent boys and he said there was him and five others and the five went to a party he never went and he said they were never ever seen again never seen again yeah so what what we're seeing is when, when you get the implementation of a d notice which is a defense notice it is a military intelligence instrument um they usually go for the 100 year because that tends to cover the, the lifespan they say of, of a child victim but they, they, I think there's more nefarious reasons and they're used very yeah. uh, liberally in, in some of these cases and never underestimate y- y- the ultimate secret society and the power that it has and that is that of the people um, most criminals tend to to be um, criminals that are involved in violence or dishonesty, and they tend to come from the lower and the working classes. Whereas when you've got it, it knows no boundaries, it knows no economic uh, restrictions, it knows no religious boundaries. Um, it, it just doesn't care for any of them. It's like a hot knife through the butter of society. Yeah. And and it's which which I would say connects all these what you might think are unconnected people if you start thinking about the secret society of paedophilia that then you tend to have your answer correct and um and it can be as base level as that um so you know your mind is like a parachute it only works when it's open 
And that's where the whole reason we do this show, uh, John, is to sort of educate people on the bigger pictures and give them a chance to make up their own mind on, on another theory. Let us know down in the comments what you guys think. Uh, we're having to wrap up a little bit quicker. So uh, listen, I'm going to make sure that next week we go a little bit deeper into this wonderful ex-policeman in his pants swimming for such a good cause. We touched on it a little bit, but you know, I'm going to keep pushing John to get me some content to make so we can, you know, put a little bit halfway through this and do a wee advert for him. But let us know down in the comments if there's any cases you want us to cover this is a discussion we want to hear from you and of course myself ron swanson my links are in the description come and join me on the project root channel i absolutely adore making content uh, on this channel too so please leave a like and let sean know how much you love this series and thank you john for giving up your time once again thank you all for viewing this and coming and joining us and for me ron swanson as always be safe out there.